You may notice that there's something different about me this morning, about the way I'm dressed. I'm not wearing a tie. No, that's not it. I often don't wear a tie. I'm not wearing any socks. Uh, Actually, that's not true. I am wearing some socks. It's the hat. Isn't it great? It's a wonderful hat. This is not just put on. This is my favorite hat. I know you're jealous. I know you wish you had a hat like this. But it's my hat. You can't have it. And uh, it's all mine. Why is this my favorite hat, you're asking yourself? Well, maybe it's because it actually has a kangaroo on the back. So the brand, uh, it's an Australian brand. And more than that, it kind of looks, it's the same color, and it has a similar shape to the official hat, the baggy green of the Australian cricket team. So I kind of feel a little bit of home when I wear this hat, and uh, no matter how silly it might look, it's my favorite hat. But the question, of course, is, why am I wearing this hat this morning? Why am I wearing my favorite hat this morning? Well, of course, it's because of our subject for this morning about covering your head or not covering your head as a man or a woman. This is our passage for today. This is our subject for today, as you already know from the reading. And so I figured that of all times, this would be a good time to have some visuals some visual illustrations to help explain things when it comes to explaining things to make things, God willing, plain. This is a topic of some controversy. There have been periods of history where whole groups of people, whole cultures, have chosen to have women cover their head as a mandatory thing within the church. And even today, there are whole denominations where this is still the case, where women will cover their heads. Now, we don't live in this period right now. In our own culture, that's not the case. In fact, in most churches today, there is no requirement to wear head covering. And in some cases, there may even be some some sense of awkwardness if you chose to do so. But I'm hoping that this morning, my visual effect will make things plain, will make things clear And just to put your mind at rest, that my ugly hat won't be on for too long, I'm going to use this as kind of a transition moment as well. I'm actually going to take this hat off when we move from the subject of head covering into our next subject. Our next subject, what is that? Well, we're going to move on to talk about the role of men and women. Because our passage for today is quite possibly the most important passage in the whole Bible, believe it or not, when it comes to this sticky subject of the role of men and women. Wow, you think bite off more than you can chew, right? The first topic is a controversial topic. That we know, we we can see. But maybe not so much today, as I mentioned. But this second topic, no question about it, is a topic of great controversy. It ought to be. It should be, shouldn't it? Because there is no kind of safe place here. To say that, well, we are just going to not do a certain thing is actually doing something, is making a decision to do something. There is no kind of neutral ground here when we're talking about this subject of men and women. It affects everybody. How, if at all, are men and women different? And what does it mean for that to be the case if that's true? in terms of what men and women can and cannot do within the church. 
Even as Josh was reading, I was thinking, what have I done? Uh, Even more so now. But let's jump into this right now. Okay, the first part, the hat on part. Corinth was a very mixed city. More mixed than the average city of that day, in fact. It had very strong Greek roots. It was a very important Greek city in its day. But because of its strategic location, because of its, the way it was kind of structured geographically, the Romans got an eye for it. And when they canvassed the whole Mediterranean basin, they decided that they would make it one of their cities, an important Roman city. And so all at once, Corinth was important as a Greek and a Roman city. It was a very mixed city. Now, traditionally, this is where my visuals come in. This looks a bit like the Adams family, doesn't it? I'm holding up a head here. <laughs> traditionally, in public, the situation between Romans and Greeks was exactly the same. Men would have their heads uncovered, and women traditionally would have their heads covered. Exhibit A. This was normally the case when you were walking around in public. Men and women, exactly the same. However, when it came to worshipping their gods, they actually had two different practices. The Roman men, when they arrived in worship, would actually cover their heads. And the Roman women would remain covered. Exhibit B. The Greek... The Greeks, on the other hand, had a different practice. When they arrived to worship their pagan gods, the Greek men remained uncovered and the Greek women uncovered themselves. Okay, did we get that? So lots of moving parts here. But in public, the situation was exactly the same. Women, men, women were covered, men uncovered. When it came to worship, the situation was different. Roman men covered up, Roman women stayed covered. Greek men remained uncovered, and the Greek women would uncover their heads. Okay, we haven't finished, so I'm going to leave my hat on. What were the Christians going to do? Can you see? That's a really, really important question to ask. What were the Christians going to do at this point? They had to do something. Now, maybe they could do nothing at all. Maybe they could just say a free-for-all. Everybody can do whatever you want. But that had its own problems, potentially. It could have been that if you had a converted woman who came from a Greek background or Roman background, if she turned up and her husband wasn't a Christian... And she uncovered her head and what's she doing? And there could be all kinds of cultural tensions going on here. See, the best thing was for the church to develop a tradition. We know what the word tradition means, don't we? It meant the same thing back then as it means today. It means coming up with a set of practices that we do normally. We normally sing a certain number of songs. We normally have a sermon at a certain point. We have a Bible reading. We have an offering. Those are traditions. Those are things that we do traditionally. And in this passage, there is a word, in fact, the word tradition, that is used right at the beginning, where Paul says, verse 2, 
Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. This is very different. This, in fact, makes this passage very different from other passages in the Bible because other passages in the Bible don't use the word tradition. It's a very, very rare word for Paul to use. In fact, he uses it negatively in Galatians when he says, when I used to follow the traditions of my Jewish fathers that I now no longer follow. So we need to realize first up that this word tradition is important. What were the Christians to do? They would establish a tradition among themselves because the world was watching. And this tradition was, pardon the pun, extremely revealing. I think the tradition they established was extremely exciting. It was powerful for many reasons, for a few different reasons. First of all, it would say to everybody that the God of the Christian church service was the same God as the God of the marketplace. See, what all of you were used to doing out in the marketplace, how things were, how things functioned out in the world is exactly the same way things are going to function in the Christian worship service. And that would communicate something very, very powerful. Pagans couldn't say that. Pagans couldn't say that their God was the same out in the marketplace as in the worship service. So of all people, this would communicate something wonderful and something powerful about our God. Our God is the God of the whole world. Our God is not a quirky God who you have to withdraw from the world to worship, but He is part of all of this world. And we could apply that wonderfully today. I'll leave you to think more on that. It would also communicate that Christians of all people were about purity. Since this is what Cade Coverings was originally about when it came to women. It would also communicate that God considered a distinction between men and women. Think about it. The pagan worship service, things were all exactly the same. But here, there is still a distinction maintained. It would also distinguish them from other religious practices. In those days, there was such plurality. Everyone thought that everyone else's God was God, and you could just do things however you wanted. But in the Christian worship service, it would distinguish Christians and say that our God is actually different from either the Roman gods or from the pagan gods. Okay, but here is the real question, the practical question for us today. What is the upshot of all this? Wearing a hat in America today, except in rural Pennsylvania, or maybe when ministering to Muslims, communicates none of this. I didn't really get to, I kind of skipped my notes because I was getting into the visuals too much here, but it was seen as a sign of modesty. The hair of a woman to be shown publicly was seen as being a kind of a a show and it was meant to be kept only for her husband or her husband-to-be. None of that is communicated today. If we want to communicate modesty today, we say wear appropriate clothing. Right? Don't dress uh, inappropriately. That is what communicates modesty today. So if you're not living in rural Pennsylvania, if you're not ministering among Muslims, the irony is that if we were to say that every woman should cover their head, we would actually be communicating, we would be undermining one of the points that I made a minute ago. 
And that is the idea that the God, our God, is the God of the whole world. So the bottom line is that unless you're wearing something immodest, it doesn't really matter. Brings me to a quick illustration. In Australia, um, there was a time when we were eating uh, at the table with Rachel's family and there was a visiting pastor and his wife from, from Birmingham and the wife said, you know, I hear that the guys are dressing quite immo- they, they, they dress kind of quite casually at church here in Australia. And my mother-in-law said, yeah, actually, you know, many of the guys will just turn up in thongs. <laughs> of course, in Australia, thongs are flip-flops, right? <laughs> so unless you turn up like that, right, totally immodestly, then you really haven't undermined anything here. Is it okay to wear a hat to church? Absolutely. Must guys take off their ball caps before they pray? See, that's part of the same tradition, actually. They don't have to. They can if they want. They don't have to. You can wear a hat. You cannot wear a hat if you wish. It's up to you. You can have a clear conscience because this passage is speaking to a very important situation. It gives us principles, no less. I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong, the Bible is suddenly unapplicable. No, the amazing thing is that there are principles that I've already mentioned to you that are highly applicable still to us today. But when it comes to the actual idea of wearing or not wearing a hat, this is not an issue. Okay, hats off. I also rolled up my sleeves as a symbol to say this is a tough passage. We've got a lot of work to do. And our work continues as we move into our second phase here to talk about the subject of men and women. Let me ask you this question as I pull the pin and roll a grenade down the the, the aisle for you. Who gets to be the people's representative when it comes to the church service, men or women? Who gets to represent the people before God as their ambassador, as their spokesperson? Who gets to petition God in prayer on behalf of us, men or women? Hold that thought. Because here is a question that flips that over just a little bit. Who gets to be God's mouthpiece when God speaks to the congregation? Men or women? Who does God choose to speak through to us? Men or women? In other words, who gets to prophesy? The answer to both questions according to verses 4 and 5 is men and women. Actually, the slide before that. Okay, we'll leave out the bit underlined. Every man who prays or prophesies, it says in verse 4, and then in verse 5, but every wife who prays or prophesies. Prayer is what goes up to God from the congregation. Prophecy, whatever we think about it, is what comes down from God to the people. And especially when it comes to prophecy, It is God himself who is choosing who he's going to speak through. And the answer to who gets to do both of these is men 
and women. Which makes this a radical, radical statement of equality. When the congregation chooses who should speak to God in praise and petition, who should speak on behalf of us to God, it's both men and women, according to verses 4 and 5, that get to do so. And when God chooses who, will, who He will use to speak to the congregation, it is both men and women. This is a picture of radical equality, of complete and utter equality when it comes to worth and worthiness and doing the most important jobs of all. You can see why I said that's a hand grenade. I also rolled up my sleeves so I could use my watch as an illustration. We're into visual illustrations here today. This watch I really like is a gift from my wife. I bought my wife the same brand of watch as a gift for her some years ago. It's kind of a nice thing for us to do together, to have the same watch. It has the same kind of silver color to it. It has the same kind of you know, uh, sportiness. It has the same date function, right? It's a little bit waterproof. It has all of these same functions. But notice most importantly, it tells the time. Both watches have exactly the same function. Both of them are of equal value, of equal worth and importance. And both of them get to do the same job. Why is this a hand grenade? Well, because it's, be, it's because of the second thing that this passage has to say. Take a look at verses 4 and 5 again and what we left out. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. You see, I know there's a lot of controversy about this, but honestly, the most natural reading when it comes to the word head is that it has something to do with authority. And this is why this is so controversial. This is why even this second point is like rolling out another hand grenade down the aisle. Because the two just don't go together, can you see? When there is authority structure... When somebody is over somebody else, then inevitably the person who is on the high position lifts themselves up. And inevitably the person who is in the lower position gets put down. The person who is in the higher position will always, whether subtly or overtly, find ways to get the jobs that make them look best. Am I telling the truth here? Isn't that true? And they will subtly do things in a way to... To, to maintain their power position and their control. They will do things to put themselves in a position of maintenance and authority, and they will give the difficult and lowly and nondescript and non-recognized jobs to other people, unacknowledged. Unless something strange is happening. In George Orwell's famous book, Animal Farm, the pigs stir up the animals to kick the farmer out because he's taking advantage of them all. He's ripping them off, as we would say. He's taking their eggs from the chickens and selling them to make himself rich, the pigs say to them. 
He's taking their milk from the cows to sell and make himself rich. And so they rebel. The animals rise up and kick the farmer off the land. And they write up this sign that says, all animals are equal. The problem is that, of course, there is a power vacuum that's been created by this. The farm still has to run. The eggs still have to get sold so they can buy produce to eat, etc. And so the pigs take charge and they start to control things. And if you know the story, you know what happens. The sign gets changed. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. And all of a sudden, the pigs start living in the house. And the pigs start dressing like humans. And the pigs start living like humans. And the pigs start taking advantage of the other animals just like humans did before. See, people think, get this, people think that the real problem of oppression or the real answer to oppression is to make everyone equal. But all this does is open a new kind of door for a power play where a new kind of powerful person takes over. Supposed equality never works because in the world, someone is always going to push their way to the top and take advantage of their position and put other people down. Bossy men... Don't write me off for this statement I'm about to make. Bossy men replaced by bossy women will have the same result. Now, you might say that's a little better. At least everyone gets a chance to be bossy. And in some senses, the answer is yes. But there is a better way. Those who are appointed to authority make it their job to go down to lift other people up. Take a look at this film clip here. Dishes for the house, we pay what you ask, no more. But we need the house a week from Wednesday or no deed. Gee, that's, uh, that's 10 days from now. It's kind of quick. We've lived here 18 years. I don't know if we can get every... Excuse, please. I'm sorry, Dad, but I just thought it was another goofy idea like your hair. Hey. I never thought you were actually going to go through with it. I love this house. Well, wow. <laughs> I guess I just assumed we'd have a little more warning. But what do we have? We have at least 90 days before we have to move. Am I right, George? Oh, believe me, Nina, you can jack up an escrow six months if you need to. Uh, Maddie, what's going on? May I be excused? No, no, sir. You may not be excused. <laughs> George? The guy paid me $15,000 extra to be out in 10 days. The guy paid you $15,000 extra to be out of the house in 10 days? I hope you took it, George. He did. And he threw in Mom's favorite dishes just to close the deal. <gasps> George! Mackay Kalem! <laughs> Why is there so much trouble in the world? Because men lead? No. Because men lead badly. Men think that because they have the power, they have the power to shush women when they become troublesome to them. Because they have the power, they have the power to flex their muscles, to put the other person down, 
to leverage their situation to put themselves into a position where they can feather their own nests like the pigs in Animal Farm. I'm the boss here. I rule the roost. And therein lies the problem. Because they're not leading the way God leads. Take a look at Philippians 2 verses 3 to 10. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was from, in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God is constantly giving himself up for us. He is constantly lifting us up, constantly, from the very start of it all. When he put Adam and Eve in charge of the world, Why is it that humanity begins to worship itself? Because we are put into an amazing position. He puts us into the best position. He gives us the greatest jobs. And he takes the worst jobs in history for himself. When Jesus comes to earth, get this, he doesn't immediately force his way into a position of power. He could do. He has the ability to perform miracles. He could perform miracles in a way that put himself in the greatest position of power. But instead of that, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the picture of servanthood is the picture of God's own leadership. Now, we would like to think, no doubt of course, like we always do, like all of us always do, that we are doing a great job of this already. A brilliant job, both as a church and as individuals here in this church. But are we doing such a great job of this? Really, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this to be, to be provocative and challenging. I want the Scriptures to speak to us today. I want the Scriptures to speak to you. Do you consider yourself, if you are a man, to be of greater essential worth than a woman? If you do, then you are not going to lead like Christ led. This is a bitter pill for us to follow, to swallow. Surely blissful ignorance would be better. Well, no, because someone is going to pay for your behavior. So often when we think that it's all said and done, what really matters to God is that we work out exactly what men and women can and cannot do. And maybe that's what you're expecting me to talk about today, to lay down the law, to lay down the rules, to tell you here is exactly what a man can do and here's exactly what a woman can do. But you see, that's too easy and it defeats the purpose because that's what we really want. We really just want to know where do the boundaries lie? What can I do? What can't I do? But this is so much more difficult, isn't it? Because what it is saying 
to the man is that you need to be constantly thinking, how can I lift up women and children and others? Leaders in the church and leaders in the home need to serve other people because this is the model that God himself has laid down. This is one of the most radical things in the Bible, I think. And I really honestly don't think that we, I'm not just talking about our church, but we as any church has really laid hold of. How much do we just buy into the thinking of this world when it comes to greatness? Well, of course I need to be in the most showy position. Of course I need to be lifting myself up. Everyone needs to know who's boss here. And that's the thinking of the world. Did Jesus think that way? Everyone has to know who's boss around here. Or did he lay down his life for us all? Three principles for three different groups. Three principles for us today. Up on the screen. To husbands simple message. Stop thinking that power means leveraging your own position, your own power, your own honor, authority. Serve. Don't be George Banks. Don't think that you are better than women or children or those who earn less than you or those you haven't, who haven't had the success that you enjoy. All of these are false views of greatness. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We should be, as men, clawing our way, striving for true greatness, which means clawing our way to the bottom to lift other people up. To fathers and mothers and grandparents, What an opportunity there is for the next generation, for you to model this to the next generation. Imagine what it would look like if sons saw their fathers serving their wives and them in a way that said, you are the most important thing in the world. I am simply a servant. How would that communicate the character of God to them? How would they understand the gospel amazingly if fathers did this? What about grandparents? generationally that people that grandchildren look at their grandparents and say wow look at grandma all of the things that she did and all of the confidence that she was given and all of the opportunities that she was given by grandpa because he served her and lifted her up and to leaders of the church wow like i said you probably were expecting me just kind of lay down the rules. The passage doesn't really fully lay down the rules, so I'm not doing it. We can go to other passages for that. But what would it look like if people walked into the church and saw women doing some of the best jobs, some of the most privileged jobs, some of the most honored and profiled jobs? They would say, obviously, this church is liberated from male dominance. But then what if they turned around in the next moment and saw men also doing those same jobs, the best jobs, the most privileged jobs, the most profile jobs? They would be confused. And what if they learned further that the people who were doing these things were actually not those in leadership, 
but they were those who weren't in leadership. And that leaders were working behind the scenes to constantly be lifting others up and giving them the honor and the glory. You know what would happen? They would say, truly, God is among you. And if they didn't know the God, they would know him soon because they would learn of his son, the Lord Jesus, who didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A guy walks into a bar after a long day at work and he orders a drink. And as he sits there mulling over his day, he hears a high-pitched voice say, that shirt looks great on you. The man looks around. He doesn't see anything. He returns to his drink. Doesn't think any more of it. Then all of a sudden he hears the same voice again saying, you seem like a really cool guy. Again, the man looks around seeing nothing. He returns to what he's doing. This time he's a bit worried. Am I losing my marbles? Finally, as he's kind of settled down, he hears the voice again saying, I bet your parents are really proud of you. He slams down his drink and he looks around wildly, frustrated. He yells out to the bartender, Hey, what's this voice that keeps speaking to me? Oh, says the bartender, that's the peanuts. They're complimentary. (laughs) Okay, this is a corny story, I realize. Quite possibly the most corny closing illustration in the history of preaching. But it illustrates the point. We need to be like the peanuts. Unseen, invisible, but always complimentary, lifting others up. Why? Because that is what Jesus is like. Well, the saying goes, strike while the iron's hot, no time like the present, seize the day. Um, You may have noticed that we didn't have the pastoral prayer earlier. And that is because I've invited Vicki Gillespie to come up, case in point, to lead us in prayer as a congregation. The musicians will come after Vicki. Thank you, Vicki.